Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Good morning, Sarasota. This is the Sarasota Stories Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Bob. I just wanted to take a quick moment. And um, first off, thank our regular listeners for checking in with us. I hope everybody's okay. Obviously, we really got hammered by this storm, primarily south of the greater Sarasota area, starting in Venice and then all the way down to Naples. And so I just wanted to encourage everyone, is there just one thing that you can do to help in the relief efforts? Bottled water, some canned goods, some dry goods, some clothing, I'm going to give you some organizations that you can reach out to and find out specifically what it is that they need where you can help in this relief effort. The first organization is the Community Foundation of Sarasota County. They can be reached at 941-955-3000. They're also located over there on Fruitville Road at 2635 Fruitville Road in Sarasota, Florida. Call them and see specifically what it is that they need and how they are working to help all these folks that really got hammered by the hurricane. Next organization is Gulf Coast Community Foundation. Uh, Their headquarters are in Venice, 941-486-4600. If they're not open because they did, did get a lot of flooding down there, let's try the Sarasota location again for Gulf Coast Community Foundation, 941-777-1270. Call them and see what they need. Obviously, the Salvation Army is always looking for uh, donations and help in situations such as this. They actually have three locations. Sarasota is 941-364-5557. They're over there on Tuttle Avenue. The Venice location, and again, Venice has some flooding down there. I don't know if they're open. 941-484-6227. Northport really got hammered again with flooding. I don't know if they're open, but I'll give you their phone number anyways. 941-240-5108. The Salvation Army is always very helpful in situations like this. Obviously, the American Red Cross, the Sarasota County office can be found at 941-379-9300. And I know that everybody has a heck of a lot more on their mind right now than uh, simply listening to podcasts, but we are going to do our best to maintain our regular 
release of our episodes. We could not air last week. We didn't have any internet, so I <laughs> I hope you'll forgive us for that. But uh, I think we're going to be back on task going forward, assuming that we don't have any interruptions in service. And today we have a great show lined up for you, and we just encourage you to continue to listen in. If we feel a need to update you on what's going on, we'll just continue to put these little blurbs in here before the episodes. If there's anything you would like for us to do, please reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn, and we'll do our best again to help in this relief effort. Again, thank you so very much for being a part of our listening audience and on to today's show. If you've lived in Florida for any length of time, there are two words you really just don't want to hear, and that is red tide. Red tide kills our marine life, disrupts our tourism industry, and is literally a stinker of a problem. Most people know it's been around for centuries, but is there anything that can be done to at least reduce its impact on our ecology and our economy? Fortunately, one world-class organization right here in Sarasota is fighting to find those answers. Hi, I'm your host, Bob Williams. I believe one of the keys to any community is when you listen to each other's stories. It's one of the true paths to the local culture and connects us in a way that cannot be done any other way. In fact, that's why I created the Sarasota Stories podcast. I started so that you could get connected just a little deeper in this wonderful community we call home. In each episode, I interview a neighbor of ours who is doing great work in impacting our town in positive ways. So you'll hear from authors and artists, entrepreneurs, civic leaders, and others share how they chose their profession, what they're working on now, and what their plans are for the future. I am very pleased to welcome Kevin Claridge, Moat Marine's Vice President for Sponsored Research and Coastal Policy. In today's episodes, you'll learn what's one thing most people don't know about Kevin, what we definitely know about Red Tide, how the state of Florida and Governor DeSantis are funding research to help mitigate this Red Tide's impact on Florida, recent mitigation, testing techniques, and much, much more. I'm so glad you stopped by today. It is my hope that you will listen, you will learn, but most importantly, connect. Kevin Claridge, Moat Vice President for Sponsored Research and Coastal Policy Programs. Welcome to the Sarasota Stories Podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Well, Kevin, it's a pleasure to have you on. I have been working for, oh, I don't know, maybe a couple months uh, to get somebody from Moat on because like a lot of residents around here, I want to know more about Moat in general, but a lot of us are concerned and interested in all things red tide, you know, when it's you know, when it's going to come back, where it comes from, and all that sort of jazz, sure. which which is going to be a lot of fun to get into with you. But I never let my guests off the hook before we get into what they do and how they do it before I ask them. Tell our listeners what's one thing that most people don't know about you. Mm. Uh, I, I'm a big bluegrass fan. I, I both like to uh, uh, attend bluegrass, um, but also try to, it's a good uh stress relief, uh, to sit at home and, and pick the mandolin or the banjo and the, and the guitar and, uh, I keep adding <laughs> new instruments to try to learn and challenge myself and how they all synchronize. Um, so very much enjoy that as a, a getaway when I'm not at, when not at vote. Well, now you don't hear that much as far as that style of music and whatnot, but now I do know that you have, you have degrees from, uh, South Florida in public management, and you also have a master's in biology from the university of Memphis. And also, envi and also environmental studies from North Carolina, Asheville. Is that where you picked up the bluegrass? 
Yes, yeah, a little bit of love there. Uh, many years growing up, uh, my dad and I. So that's something we both enjoyed. So just kind of continued it. And, oh, okay. And okay. You want to pick up the instrument and play? So that's what I did. You know, it's it's interesting. Back in episode fifty, I had a good friend on my name, Charlie Shrim. He's one of the original Bitcoin guys. He lives right here in Sarasota. And he's from New York, and I mean like New York City, and he plays bluegrass. So the two of you may need to get together and do a little jam session. That would be excellent. <laughs> well, give us, give us, I guess, some broad strokes on your background because you are in, uh, you know, research and coastal policy for Moat Marine. You know, give us kind of a broad strokes of your background and then how you ended up in Moat. Sure. So uh, I think still fairly new to Moat, joined Moat the end of 2019 uh, into the into this vice president sponsored research and policy role. Uh, previously, I was with the, the state of Florida uh, about 20 years um, in a lot of different roles from uh, regulatory of air, water and waste assistance down in southeast Florida, uh, over, oversaw and assisted mine reclamation activities in the center part of the state, large scale restoration. Um, was up in Tallahassee uh, most recently before this as the director of the Office of Resilience and Coastal Protection for uh, the Florida Department of Environmental Protection. Um, love, love that seat. Awesome. Built a lot of uh, partnerships. Uh, got to work with a lot of resource management and um, uh, restoration activities. Assisted a lot of the Deepwater Horizon response and restoration activities. So, uh, sliding into Moat was was really just a, a, an awesome opportunity to to dive into the research. Uh, even get a little bit of ahead of the, the regulatory and restoration uh, actions so that you can provide the right tools, technologies to make the best decisions for things uh, like rest, like uh, marine restoration. So have you always had an interest of kind of combining the public and the private and ecological topics together and kind of making a difference in that in that area? Yeah, I guess I've always been about an inch deep and a mile wide of kind of positions of, of personnel, politics, uh, contracts, grants, and to really synergize and stir all those together to, to lead uh, large efforts like this, like either mine reclamation or things, uh, you know, Everglades uh, restoration worked a lot of that for a while or Deepwater Horizon to when there's a lot of moving parts to try to bring folks together towards a common direction. That's interesting. Well, and actually, how did you come to Moat? Was it just through a headhunter that just a job search and they reached uh, out to you or vice versa? Yeah, no, just working closely with them in my previous roles with DEP, built a relationship and respect for what they were doing over many years and uh, attracted me at the right time. So I said, you know, hey, I think it's a good, a good opportunity in, in my career and time for me to move on that uh, the, the research side. And uh, something I think we may get into a little bit later about uh, assisting with some of the red tide research that's going yeah, on. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Well, well, I'll tell you what, let's not delay on that. Um, I moved here in 2015 and have been through, I think, two red tide bouts. And even, you know, even as a snowbird coming down from Cincinnati, we come down on our spring break. And of course, then, you know, our spring break was ruined, you know, because it had red tide. But, you know, because we'd suffered through a, a winter there in Cincinnati, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like like all tourists you know we're laying out there on the beach getting uh sunburnt you know with a towel over our mouth you know just trying to get some rays but but so um you know a lot of a lot of folks have had that relationship with red tide i mean obviously businesses down here can suffer greatly through it uh particularly if you have you know temporary um rentals or seasonal rentals or whatnot that could really hurt you but 
you know, I guess share with us what, just share with us about Red Tide. You know, where does it come from? How does it happen? And then, uh, you know, are there different types? And then I really would like to get into, you know, what's the technology that you all are working on that, that you're excited about that can, that can help mitigate some of these problems? Sure. Yeah. Anyway, so just to keep it at the, the higher level for you, for your audience and, and the, but anyone down in Southwest Florida, if you may have guests in, or visitors in the area that, uh, you know, we've been lucky enough to have, to have one as a re- recent knock on wood that uh, we're, not, we're not experiencing that. But uh, those that have come down and visited it, uh, uh, you know, red tide originates offshore. So and then with the right winds, uh, water chemistry and wave action, it, it can move near shore and cause, as you were just referencing, uh, a large economic impact, uh, but you know also those uh, ecological impacts that are often you know that you see on the news of the fish kills or the species impacts to turtles and manatees and dolphins and those types of things that you hate to see uh, comes into our bays uh, and estuaries and canals and things that yeah just makes it uncomfortable for that beachgoer can can cause that respiratory irritation for humans uh, as well as you know walking a pet they could have the same same thing of uh, you're gonna be itchy eyes scratchy throat you know it, some of those that folks that have been in the area obviously are, are familiar with those uh, so with those moving in red tide is going to continue to come it, it's been coming uh, impacts seen as far back as you know the, the Spanish records of ships coming in and seeing those so it's going to continue to come but. Uh, when we had some of these recent impacts, uh, the 2018, 2019 blooms, and you may have experienced it, of uh, you know, draws attention to it and and seeing what that ecological and impact, uh, economic impact is, folks want to act, and rightfully so, that they want to do what they can to mitigate or, or lessen those impacts on those things. Uh, thus, sprang the, the the Florida Red Tide Mitigation and Technology Development Initiative. And that's what uh, we're, we're working on presently on, on tools and technologies. So, you know, Kevin, share with our listeners, you know, what's true about Red Tide? And I guess what's a myth and what don't we really know yet? It's yeah, it's a, a topic that's, that we're continually researching. Uh, and as mentioned uh, a little bit ago, it's going to continue to come. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, debate and, and research and looking at the the, once it gets nearer to shore, the, the nutrient sources it's using, Moats uh, found the, many of the, the, the nutrients that it is using, and that can cause uh, it continue to grow, such as the dead fish that may uh, uh, originate from the, the uh, red tide itself can perpetuate it. So it's important to get those those fish out of the water, and that's some of the science and things we're looking at that, that you can start to uh, um, lessen its ability to continue its um, harmful activities. Uh, so again, shifting that past the origination of it, it's going to continue to come is to start to look at what can we do with science, with research, with partners, the best and brightest, bring ideas from around the globe, what's already in the literature, what are other people doing with harmful algal blooms, and bring those options to Southwest Florida, if not Florida in general, where where red tide, um, uh, we may find red tide, to, to bring those ideas just as options to use. Right. It's, it's a, something I've always been curious about. Are there multiple types of these algae blooms and are they specific to different parts of the world? Exactly that. Yeah. So <clears throat> really found all found all over the world, uh, harmful algal blooms, <clears throat> excuse me, blue green algaes or red algaes, different types and freshwater systems, uh, near shore, offshore uh, marine systems. 
um, and, and all cause a variety of different uh, ecological and economic impacts. Uh, and, and you can go down into the, the science of each of those, uh, whether phytoplankton's or algae, you know, uh, of what's going on with those and the toxins they may produce. Uh, but uh, again, in, in our previous conversation, just the, that what we were seeing in 2018, 2019 spurred the, the want for action of, well, what can we do? Right. So what, what can we test and say, uh, look at safely introducing into, at least initially, the canals, the marina, the near shore waters to knock back some of those impacts that make it uncomfortable um, for not only our, our marine friends that, that are living there, but us that are walking along the beach. Right. And, and, I th- and so, so out of that, I think the state legislature and Governor DeSantis signed the, the Florida Red Tide Mitigation Technology and Development Initiative. I think that it came out of that, what people wanted action to happen. Talk a little bit about that legislation that was passed and kind of your involvement with it. Uh, sure. Um, yeah, Governor DeSantis uh, signed in 2019. Uh, Moat entered into the contract with FWC a, l- a few months uh, later uh, as the entity to receive the appropriations, $3 million a year over six years. Uh, and that's the, the thought. It, research takes time. You have to start at that start. And some of those things I was just previously talking about of digging into the literature, what's been done, and uh, starting at the 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 beaker or the tabletop or the lab, uh, uh, we, we call them different tiers uh, of research. And I'll get in maybe that a little bit more detail in a second, but uh, the initiative gave us that ability to start, look at various tools and technologies, walk them through this uh, a safe testing and uh, to be considered uh, for use by homeowners associations, a marina owner, a municipality, a county that, that they can start to consider that as part of their budgets uh, uh, as an option to, to mitigate that. Well, we I, can do this. You know, this yeah. is an option for us. Yes, yes. And, and, and you talk about the, like there's tiers of research and how it, how it passes those different tiers. I think most people, certainly I'm, I'm aware of the fact that, you know, when a new drug comes out or most of the time when a new drug comes out, it goes through a different stages of research and testing and make sure that it's approved and safer you know, for the consumer. What does it look like uh, in your space? It's uh, an excellent question. It's starting at that. In, in layman terms, of course. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, uh, what's already been done? Obviously, you don't want to re, you know, uh, rebuild, re- redo um, into the literature. And uh, it's an awesome thing that we do have a lot of science and things going on around the globe with with HABs, harmful algal blooms is the, the acronym that use people slang quickly say HABs. But how do you dig into that to make sure that that's available and that you start to find, hey, they, they use this in Europe or they're using this in Southeast Asia or Australia is using this or the Philippines. We're talking all these all these folks. So that's kind of the this, this step one. And, and you would think it, it should be a no-brainer. Like, okay, let's figure out, let's uh, not reinvent the wheel. Um, and then you build on that. You start at that tabletop. You think of the, you know, maybe for your audience, think of that beaker, you know, it, that lab coat guy or gal uh, that's that's testing uh, a mitigation compound. Say it's, uh, let's just use clay as an example that's been used worldwide for a different various uses perhaps. That's interesting because I saw that on your website that it was being tested not too long ago. I think uh, in late 2001, it was being tested in one of the estuaries around here. That's interesting. 
Correct. And, and, and once you're getting into that range, we call that about the tier three. So if you think of that literature in that beaker as tier one, that middle step, then if, if, if your mitigation tool or technology, again, so that could be a compound, a, a light, um, uh, an ozonation process or a cavitation, there's a lot of different ways to treat water like you would treat in a, dr a drinking water or wastewater facility or mine remediation or groundwater cleanup, all these different kinds of tools that are out there. Uh, so if you start to look at what the effects are of those uh, tools and technologies are actually on this, the smallest piece, that cell, that algae, and the toxin that's associated with it. And if you can show progress there, so you kind of check that box in tier, tier one, and then you start to look at, okay, in tier two, you move it to a larger tank setting. Even if you're in a, most people have a 10 gallon or had in their life a 10 gallon aquarium with a fish in it. So, so you start- well, to I got a very bad story about that, go ahead. <laughs> so if you go to that and then, we built a cutting edge facility with even larger tanks. So even so those that are five feet across, 10 feet across, you know, 20 feet across, where you can start to introduce uh, ecosystem components. And you can look at what that tool or technology you may be interested in, in introducing. Uh, one, in the larger capacity, what's the impact on the Carinia brevis, the algae that uh, we're talking about for, for red time, but also introducing crabs and shrimp and frit, uh, fish and seagrass and urchins and seeing what the impacts may be on those as you start to look and prepare for tier three of going into the, the real water, the canals, the, the right. natural water, that you want to be 110, 150% that you're not causing uh, an additional impact with what you're proposing. So that's yeah. that, that beaker tier one, bigger tank tier two, near shore water tier three. And we can talk about tier four, which is an exciting piece of this uh, I'd like to share too. Well, by all means. Um, so if you get into those near shore waters and you start to test and you start to think of, uh, so there's an oceanation cavitation trailer uh, that that's uh, Prescott Water uh, um, Technologies is, is proposing. As we start to look at scalability of that, this is entering into that tier four. So right now it's the size of a semi truck, if you will, to put some size for your audience. But think of now scaling that down. Is that a small vessel that can come up and service your area to, to treat the red tide and, and, and remove that, that, that algae from the area? Can we scale it down to a, um, a, a pump size thing that sits on your seawall where you go out when the red tide comes and you fire up the generator and you, and you turn your water over so that maybe your customers that are sitting at that restaurant right there can have a, you know, a good day and enjoy their fish sandwich? Fascinating, fascinating. It's, so... Now, obviously, Moat isn't the only organization that's working on this. And you mentioned a little bit earlier about partnerships, you know, around the world. And, and, and as far as data is concerned, I, mean, I know that all your research facilities are sharing that. Share with our listeners a little bit about how that has been helpful to Moat. And what are some things that you can learn that you can't hear locally or maybe not duplicate locally? So maybe a little bit inside intel. Uh, you, you Hopefully some saw on the Moats press release, but it was more of a uh, invite only the, the partners that are working on the initiative to keep it moving. We had uh, 75 plus uh, partners come together for a very focused workshop on this. You know, we're a couple years in on the initiative now. All of the scientists came together and they're from universities, they're from businesses, they're from other in uh, NGO institutions, et cetera, that are, that are working on HABs or uh, work in these other kind of water quality treatment um, uh, technologies, say agriculture or something like that, uh, that, that came. 
Uh, but it's this larger group and going back to maybe, uh, my background is bringing into trying to bring together a lot of different disciplines. So you have the scientists in the room that may be these harmful algal bloom or water scientists. But the next steps uh, that is are exciting that we're starting to enter in the second half of the Red Tide Initiative is looking in the what are the regulatory steps? What is required to start to move this out into that tier three I was talking to actually go into the water? Uh, rightfully so, right. there should be a lot of pause before you do that from folks like Department of Environmental Protection, Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, the Florida Department of Health, Division of Aquaculture, the EPA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, uh, Army Corps of Engineers, they're all involved and they all came to our workshop and, and we're, we're partners in this. Yeah, I, I have to say from a consumer and a resident's perspective, that's one of the frustrating things that uh, from, our pers- from, from my perspective you run into because obviously you want fast action, but then you stop and think, I, you know, I can't think of a good example here in the United States that maybe you have many, but, you know, where you acted too soon. I know, like, like in Australia, Australia has this, this terrible cane toad problem. And cane toads are, are poisonous and dogs eat them and it kills them and whatnot. But they brought the cane toads in, I think it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago, to, they had a, a beetle problem, a bug problem. So they imported these things from Asia or something, had no natural predator. Now they got a cane toad problem. So I can understand where, you know, the reluctance to move quickly comes from, but it's, it's kind of like, you know, we're, you get a little frustrated with that because you'd like to be able to see some real things that happen. And, and uh, so we'll talk a little bit more about some of the promising things that are happening then. Well, just a quick to reference to that. I mean, if you dial back, you know, one, one example I often use is, okay, mosquito spraying in South Florida, you know, okay, before there was a lot of people down here, you know, it, it probably wasn't a big issue, but yeah, now you, people yeah. would not want to live here or commissioners yeah. probably, but, um, uh, but uh, the mosquito are starting to spray and the concern of, okay, if you did, you know, what, what are the concerns uh, on species, on ecosystems, on humans or whatever. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of try to use that as an example of we didn't have this before, but there was an option, you know, be it kind of a pesticide-ish treatment, um, but doing the science to make sure that uh, we have all the protections in place and that the, that the agencies with their expertise, you know, do have that, that pause. Um, uh, And I'm sorry, you're in your, I was going to say, I was going to say, and technology going forward. I mean, you, you talked about the clay. That's, that's interesting. You talked a little bit more, about the oz- ozonation, is there, or is there some other things that are happening that, you know, maybe are further down the line? Uh, exciting things, you know, even looking at natural compounds, some ma- natural macroalgaes that are out there that have ag- algicidal properties is one, um, you know, looking at those, those technologies. Um, uh, UV light was, you know, another one of the thing that's, again, used in a, you know, a water treatment style capacity of, okay, right. can you envision uh, pontoon boats, you know, crossing the water back and forth, maybe on, you know, remote transect schedule, you know, like almost like agriculture uh, tractors move to, to yep. clean or lights on a seawall. You know, there's uh, all these are moving ahead. So we probably have, a, we've probably looked at well over 200 different tools and technologies and maybe down focusing on the top 12 or so that, okay, we start looking at regulatory, we start looking at deployment scalability can you can you build this to actually where where would you want to have that impact 
uh, commercialization, who are your customers? And that's who was at our workshop I was talking about. So we had county and city folks there to start thinking about that procurement process. Really, not just we developed this in a lab and it went on the shelf, but really applied to take this out for, for real world utilization. You know, that's interesting because, you know, back in uh, episode 56, I had Scott Owl's house on uh, Sarasota Green Group, and he is, his company is developing a number of fungicides and pesticides that you can put on your plants, uh, actually for the, for the marijuana industry, uh, but, but also for homeowners uh, to spray around your home and whatnot. And it's all natural oils uh, and it really, really works. And I guess, you know, we all want the easy solution. We want to come up with a natural solution. Sure. And it's just, it's kind of surprising to me, I guess, that this algae just doesn't have some type of a natural predator that comes and gobbles it up kind of like Pac-Man or something. Mm -hmm. so. Well, it's a food source out there like like everything else is. Uh, yeah. But, uh, and it's uh, it's not something you're, you're going to completely remove, but enough to knock it back. Uh, or would you maybe not want to completely remove, you know, any of these from the system. There's maybe not enough knowledge. I don't think there is that we want to remove anything from the system. Well, that's, that's, you know, I used to, used to, you know, my kids used to say, you know, dad, what's the first thing you're going to ask God when you go to heaven? I'm going to say, why did you make mosquitoes? <laughs> right. Yes. You know, it's just like, and, and so there, obviously there would be some positive element to red tide that plays in the ecology. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Just there's, there's a lot of different phytoplanktons out there. A lot of different algaes. Still even working uh, to understand the, the whole library of, of those that are out there and how those interact. Yeah. Other, other tools we are looking at are those interactions, kind of that biome, that area that's around the algae, and the bacteria that are associated with it as well. Are there some there that can can be utilized uh, to to help slow down either reproductive cycles or anything of it to, uh, as a mitigation tool. So, you know, back to the red tide mitigation and technology development initiative that was signed, how far will that carry you and the other scientists working on this into the future? I guess my question is, you know, if you had a whole new administration come in, I guess anything can happen where they pull funding for certain things. But, you know, how, how lock solid is that for uh, to be able to assist you all going forward? Uh, so we're into year four. We just had our fourth in um, in science for again for your um, for your listeners that you do requests for proposals. So we just had four. Uh, uh, we've gone through four of those, and we plan. We have the possibility of doing two more almost in the year five of six again. So this is a six year initiative in partnership with the state. That uh, we're you know I'm proud of how far along we are. I think that's a little bit of to uh, our horn, but lightning speed in the research academic world to have those you know think signing the contract and starting in early 2020, really to look where we are now with you know, 75 folks attending a, a, a workshop and bringing partners together to, to make real world action with this. Um, we've got two years, hey, you know, we get to, uh, or, well, it, it sunsets in early 2025, so a little bit more than that. Maybe. Right, uh, right. Ground to cover, still a lot of work to do, so I don't wanna. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. And and do you since since I'm sure that you you, you request for a proposal and you have to submit you know accomplishments and benchmarks and stuff mm -hmm. like that. How does that work typically with the government? Because we know, you know, a lot of us, you know, a lot of folks are disgusted. You know, you see the financial waste in Washington. That's at the federal sure. level, but now you're you're closer. You're at the state level, and do, so do you have to provide again some of uh, you know where's our results for the money invested? 
so there's several requirements and, and built into this, this statute. One is a report annually to the governor, the legislature, and the agency heads on the progress made and summary of everything we're doing, summary of the projects. Uh, on the contractual side, the, probably the more weedy side is uh, reports to FWC, the Fish and Wildlife Commission, who are overseeing the grant for, for the state. Uh, well over 100 pages of a report, twice a year at least, uh, to them on all, all that we're doing with the funding and, and you know any kind of invoicing is, is a lot of due diligence and tracking all of those dollars. And then the last last piece, we also have a technology advisory council associated with this, where there's members appointed to that from from the House Speaker, Senate, President, Governor, agency heads to uh, help guide us. Uh, and we meet at least twice a year uh, to to kind of go through those motions of here's here's where we're at, here's the latest things we accomplished, and look for their guidance and recommendations. Now, I will say again from a distance. For me to have to deal with, you know, government policy and uh, to, it, 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 like, it, you know, like drown me now. Right. But but so so what are you excited about going forward then in, in this space? Well, uh, first, I guess getting to this stage is very exciting. And uh, it's it's really cut. It's, it's about as cutting edge from science to policy as you can get. I think. Cool. Very cool. To move these ahead. Uh, you know, we have. Uh, like our new moat aquarium that's that's coming as, as well uh, out on University Town Center area. I'm sure many are, are familiar with that. But to take like what we're doing here with the Red Tide Initiative and make that as part of the curriculum for the STEM education classes that are in there to teach not only, obviously it's a real world thing we can utilize today, but teach those next range, you know, the, that, that next coming scientists for postdoctoral level or uh, undergraduate or even the K through 12 level of uh, you, I can see them in the in the lab with a beaker and in their in their compound and wanting you know and testing this and, and then them pulling it under the microscope. Did it have an impact on the cell and the toxin? You know, the uh, U.S. and the world in general is going to continue to deal more and more with harmful algal blooms because of the impacts that that humans are having, and much less others uh, on uh, other other systems changing, but on water quality and it's. Um, uh, wise that we continue to train those the next generation of scientists. Well, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, I, you know, obviously, once you get to a certain stage and you've, you've accomplished these two things in life, you love seeing the next generation coming on and having some of the same love that you do, that you put your heart and soul into. And uh, it gives you hope for the future. And, and kind of right now with all the, all the gobbledygook going on uh, the TV and, and news and, and Washington, also, that's what we need, right? We need, we need to be excited about the future. Well, that's, uh, I got in this role. I like, I like tangible results. I like to move the cool. ball. I like to see it, you know, to, to utilize. I'm lucky enough to have an excellent experience from, from government side and, and a science background to kind of mix those together. Um, and bring all the right folks to the table so that we can we can cover some ground and make some progress with uh, with harmful algal bloom mitigation. If somebody wants to find out more about what you're doing, maybe we have a, an ambitious, scientifically minded uh, student listening to this, mm -hmm. and they want to reach out to you. What's the best way to find you? Well, I, 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 a quick search engine probably steer you to, to my um, email address, uh, you know, kclarage at moat.org. You can email me, I pretty, or you can always feel free to look me up on the moat website, moat.org. Um, and also you can find a lot more on the Red Tide Initiative website page. Right. There's the reports that I was mentioning to the governor, legislature, and agency. Uh, but also if you have a, if you have a group of folks, uh, you know, whether it's an HOA group or a school group or whatever it may be, 
let me know. We'd love to show you our Red Tide facility that's out at the Moat Aquaculture Park, which is Very also cool. in Sarasota, separate from our aquarium campus, but it's a little uh, further inland where we can safely test away from, from the coastline <laughs> with, with uh, harmful algal blooms. But we'd love to talk about that and show firsthand that tiered testing I was talking about. That'd be cool. That'd be very good. And you don't need to be a nerd to do that. Everybody's interested in red tide. You know, if you, again, if you're into the, the rental business here, of, you know, or, or run a restaurant, that'd be interesting as well. So, well, uh, Kevin, so, so, go so ahead, many say so many disciplines with that, that's uh, that it, it can attract it. Like I was saying before, it's the scientists, it's the commercialization, it's the deployment technology, whether you're an engineer uh, and, and looking to scale something up from a sprayer or a vessel, um, or if it's a, a local government interested in wanting to interact more or, or help and, and participate in this, uh, I welcome them all. Well, that's great. That's great. Well, I think that's a good place to end. And to all my listeners out there, I thank you very much for logging in today and listening to Kevin Claridge, who is the Moat Vice President for Sponsored Research and Coastal Policy Programs. Kevin, it's been a pleasure having you on the Sarasota Stories podcast. Awesome fun. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye, all. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect. <music>